Section 33 of A Visit to the Holy Land. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 17 of A Visit to the Holy Land, Egypt and Italy, Part 1. By Ida L. Pfeiffer. September 5th. At five o'clock in the evening of the 2nd of September, I commenced my journey back to Alexandria. During the fortnight I remained at Cairo, the Nile had continued to rise considerably, and the interest of the region had increased in proportion. In three days' time I arrived safely at Alexandria, and again put up at Columbia's. Two days had still to elapse before the departure of the French steam vessel, and I made use of this time to take a closer survey of the town and its environs. On my arrival at Alexandria I met two Egyptian funerals. The first was that of a poor man, and not a soul followed the coffin. The corpse lay in a wooden box without a lid, a coarse blanket had been spread over it, and four men carried the coffin. The second funeral had a more respectable air. The coffin, indeed, was not less rude, but the dead man was covered with a handsome shawl, and four mourning women followed the body, raising a most dolorous howl from time to time. A motley crowd of people closed the procession. The corpse was laid in the grave without the coffin. The catacombs of Alexandria are very extensive, and well worth a visit. A couple of miles from them we see the celebrated plain on which the army of Julius Caesar was once posted. The cistern and bath of Cleopatra were both under water. I could therefore only see the place where they stood. The viceroy's palace, a spacious building inclining to the European style, has a pleasing effect. Its interior arrangement is almost wholly European. The bazaar contains nothing worthy of remark. The arsenal looks very magnificent when viewed from without. It is very difficult to obtain admission into this building, and you run the risk of being insulted by the workmen. The hospital has the appearance of a private house. I was astonished at the high commission which is here demanded on changing small sums of money. In changing a colonato, a coin very much used in this country, and worth about two guilders, the applicant must lose from half a piastra to two piastras, according to the description of coin he requires. If beshlicks are taken, the commission charged is half a piastra, but if piastras are wanted, two must be paid. The government value of a colonato is twenty piastras, in general exchange it is reckoned at twenty-two, and at the consulates at twenty-one piastras. Departure from Alexandria, September 7th. At eight o'clock in the morning I betook myself on board the French steam packet Euratus, a beautiful large vessel of one hundred and sixty horsepower. At nine o'clock we weighed anchor. The weather was very unfavorable. Though it did not rain, we continually had contrary winds, and the sea generally ran high. In consequence, we did not sight the island of Candia until the evening of the third day, four and twenty hours later than we should have done under ordinary circumstances. Two women, who came on board as passengers to Syra, were so violently attacked by sea-sickness that they left the deck a few hours after we got under way, and did not reappear until they landed at Syra. A very useful arrangement on board the French vessel is the engagement of a female attendant, whose assistance sometimes becomes very necessary. Heaven be praised, I had not much to fear from the attacks of sea-sickness. The weather must be very bad, as, for instance, during our passage through the Black Sea, before my health is affected, and even then I recover rapidly. 
During our whole voyage, even when the weather was wretched, I remained continually on deck, so that during the day time I could not miss seeing even the smallest islet. On September 10th, late in the evening, we discovered the island of Candia, or Crete, and the next morning we were pretty close to it. We could, however, distinguish nothing but bare, unfruitful mountains, the tallest among which, my namesake Mount Ida, does not look more fertile than the rest. On the right loomed the island of Scarpanto. We soon left it in our wake, and also passed the Brothers Islands, and many others, some of them small and uninhabited, besides separate colossal rocks, towering majestically into the sea. Soon afterwards we passed the islands Santorini and Anaf. The latter of these islands is peculiarly beautiful. In the foreground a village lies at the foot of a high mountain, with its peak surmounted by a little church. On the side towards the sea this rock shoots downward so perpendicularly that we might fancy it had been cut off with a saw. Since we had come in sight of Candia, we had not been sailing on the high seas. Scarcely did one island vanish from our view before it was replaced by another. On September 11th, between three and four in the morning, we reached Syra. The terrible contrary winds, with which we had been obliged to contend during almost the whole of our passage, had caused us to arrive a day behind our time, to make up for which delay we only stayed half a day here, instead of a day and a half. This was a matter of indifference to those of us who were travelling further, for as we came from Egypt we should not have been allowed in any case to disembark. Those who landed here proceeded at once to the quarantine house. Syra possesses a fine harbor. From our vessel we had a view over the whole town and its environs. An isolated mountain, crowned by a convent and a church, the seat of the bishop, rises boldly from the very verge of the shore. The town winds round this mountain in the form of several wreaths, until it almost reaches the episcopal buildings. The background closes with the melancholy picture of a barren mountain chain. A lighthouse stands on a little neighboring island. The quarantine establishment looks cheerful enough, and is situate at a little distance from the town on the seashore. It was Sunday when we arrived here, and as Syra belongs to Greece, I here heard the sound of bells like those of Mount Lebanon, and once more their strain filled me with deep and indescribable emotion. Never do we think so warmly of our home as when we are solitary and alone among strange people in a far distant land. I would have gladly turned aside from my route to visit Athens, which I might have reached in a few hours, but then I should once more have been compelled to keep quarantine, and perhaps on leaving Greece the affliction would have to be borne a third time, a risk which I did not want to run. I therefore preferred keeping quarantine at Malta, and having done with it at once. On the same day at two o'clock we once more set sail. This day and the following I remained on deck as much as possible, bidding defiance to wind and rain, and gazing at the islands as we glided past one after another. As one island disappeared, another rose in its place. Groups of isolated rocks also rose at intervals, like giants from the main, to form a feature in the changing panorama. On the right, in the far distance, we could distinguish Pharos and Antipharos, on the left the larger Chermian islands, and at length we passed close to Servo, Stag's Island, which is particularly distinguished by the beauty of its mountain range. Here, as at Syra, we found an isolated mountain, round which a town winds almost to its summit. September 12th. As I came on deck to-day with the sun, 
The mainland of the Moria was in sight on our right. A great plain with many villages scattered over its surface, and a background of bare hills. After losing sight of the Moria, we sailed once more on the high seas. This day might have had a tragical termination for us. I was sitting as usual on deck, when I noticed an unusual stir among the sailors and officers, and even the commander ran hastily towards me. Nevertheless, I did not dare to ask what had happened, for in proportion as the French are generally polite, they are proud and overbearing on board their steamers. I therefore remained quietly seated, and contented myself with watching every movement of the officers and men. Several descended to the coal magazine, returning heated, blackened by the coals, and dripping with water. At length a cabin-boy came hurrying by me, and upon my asking him what was the matter, he replied in a whisper that fire had broken out in the coal-room. Now I knew the whole extent of our danger, and yet could do nothing but keep my seat, and await whatever fate should bring us. It was most fortunate for us that the fire occurred during the daytime, and had been immediately discovered by the engine-man. Double chain pumps were rigged, and the whole magazine was laid under water, a proceeding which had the effect of extinguishing the flames. The other passengers knew nothing of our danger, they were all asleep or sitting quietly in the cabins, the sailors were forbidden to tell them what had happened, and even my informant, the cabin-boy, begged me not to betray him. We had three hundred weight of gunpowder on board. September 14th. We did not come in sight of land until this evening, when the goal of our journey appeared. Malta. We cast anchor in the harbor of La Valette at seven o'clock. During the whole of our journey from Alexandria the wind had been very unfavorable, the sea was frequently so agitated that we could not walk across the deck without the assistance of a sailor. The distance from Alexandria via Syra to Malta is 950 sea-miles. We took eight days to accomplish this distance, landing only at Syra. The heat was moderate enough, seldom reaching 28 degrees or 29 degrees reamer. The appearance of Malta is picturesque. It contains no mountains, and consists entirely of hills and rocks. The town of La Valette is surrounded by three lines of fortifications, winding like steps up the hill on which the town lies. The latter contains large, fine houses, all built of stone. September 15th. This morning at eight o'clock we disembarked, and were marched off to keep quarantine in the magnificent castle of the Knights of St. John. This building stands on a hill, affording a view over the whole island in the direction of Civita Vecchia. We found here a number of clean rooms, and were immediately supplied with furniture, bedding, etc., by the establishment at a very reasonable charge. Our host at once dispatched to every guest a bill of fare for a breakfast and dinner, so that each one can choose what he wishes, without being cheated as to the prices. The keepers here are very obliging and attentive. They almost all know something of Italian, and execute any commission with which they are entrusted punctually and well. The building for the incarcerated ones is situate on an elevated plateau. It has two large wings, one on each side, one story high, containing apartments, each with a separate entrance. Adjoining the courtyard is the inn, and not far from it the church. Neither, however, may be visited by the newcomers. The requisite provisions are procured for them by a keeper, who takes them to the purchasers. The church is always kept locked. A broad, handsome terrace, with a prospect over the sea, 
the town of Lavalette, and the whole island forms the foreground of the picture. The terrace and the ramparts behind the houses form very agreeable walks. The courtyard of our prison is very spacious, and we are allowed to walk about in it as far as the statue which stands in the middle. Until ten o'clock at night we enjoy our liberty, but when this hour arrives we are sent to our respective rooms and locked up. The apartments of the keepers are quite separate from ours. The arrangements of the whole establishment are so good and comfortable that we almost forget that we are prisoners. What a contrast to the quarantine house at Alexandria! If a traveller receives a visitor, he is not separated from his guest by ditches and bars, but stands only two steps from him in the courtyard. The windows here are not grated, and though our clothes were hung on horses to air, neither we nor our effects were smoked out. If it had not been for the delay it caused, I should really have spent the eighteen days of my detention here very pleasantly. But I wished to ascend Mount Etna, and was a fixture here until the 2nd of October. End of section 33